tennis fans, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Matchpoint Canada, the brand new and official Tennis Canada podcast. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside co-host Mike McIntyre. And for our very first episode of the brand new program, we're very pleased to have our special guest, native of Mississauga and the top Canadian-ranked woman in the WTA world, number 23, Bianca Andrescu. Firstly, thank you, uh, Bianca, so much uh, for joining us on the program. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I uh, just wanted to start off. Obviously, you've, you've had such a heavy workload of tennis for 2019, and so much of that has had to do with your incredible success, starting in Auckland, getting to the finals there, doing well in Australia, winning a title at Newport Beach, and guiding Canada in Fed Cup against the Netherlands, and then your historic win at Indian Wells. Finally, uh, at the Miami Open, obviously, you suffered the shoulder injury. Now, obviously, as an athlete, uh, you've dealt with your share of injuries, I know, in the past how have you managed this one to this point, and uh, how are you feeling now? Yeah, I've played a lot of tennis recently, so I'm really not surprised that I, I'm having this shoulder problem because I've never played this much tennis in such a short period of time. But I'm glad it's nothing too serious. It's um, just a tear in my um, subscap and... The initial rest was supposed to be eight weeks, and I healed in four and a half, so I'm really happy with how my rehab is going, my strengthening, and uh, yeah, now I'm going to be going to Nadal's Academy in Mallorca to start training, and hopefully I'll be ready for Rome or Stuttgart and then the French Open. That's uh, fantastic, and obviously in that rehab period uh the last time you played a match march 25th uh that that's great that the progress is going well uh aside from um just just getting time off in the injury were, were there some positives i guess to take maybe getting a break uh mentally yeah 100 percent. i took care of a lot of things at home i got to spend time with my family and with my friends and yeah since i've been playing a lot i think it was a really good mental break i just um, I saw my nutritionist, I saw my psychologist. Um, actually, these are new people that I'm seeing, so um, I got caught up with them, and now I have a new basis on my nutrition and on my mental health, so I'm really pleased with how the break turned out. Life's a little different as a full-time WTA player as opposed to, uh, I guess, the grind on the uh, ITF side of things as you were coming up last year, right? Eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm playing the biggest tournaments against the best players in the world. I really can't complain. What's it been like coming back to Canada, coming back to Mississauga and the GTA, and and suddenly being invited out to, you know, throw the first pitch at the Jays game, bring out the game ball for the TFC match, other big events like that? Is the intention enjoyable to you, or at a certain point are you starting to feel like, okay, I want to get back to my life now? No, I love everything that's happening to me right now. I feel all the love back home. I, uh, yeah, I went to the TFC game and then the basketball game and the Blue Jays game. That was really fun. I love watching sports and that was an incredible experience. I would love to do it again. Now, it's not just a change in the attention that you've received, uh, but, but also financially a big difference, obviously, from what you were used to playing, you know, prior to 2019. 
In, in team sports, athletes often make a big purchase after signing their first big contract. Uh, in an individual sport like tennis, perhaps it's after the first big tournament result like you had in Indian Wells. So I'm wondering, has there been a big purchase that either yourself, you know, for yourself or a family member or friend perhaps that you'd uh, care to share with our listeners? You mean something that I bought? Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, I wanted to, like with my first ever big prize money, my mom and I wanted to buy like a designer purse or like designer shoes and uh, we ended up buying a Gucci bag for myself and Louis Vuitton shoes for my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. So yeah, (laughs) we're living life. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. You're listening to the very first episode of Matchpoint Canada. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at MatchpointCAN and our first guest is Bianca Andrescu, uh, top Canadian-ranked player, world number 23 in the world. Uh, you just mentioned earlier um, that you are going to be doing some training work at the uh, Rafa Nadal Academy as, as you get prepared uh, for the end of the clay swing and, and the French Open. Is it uh, maybe inspiring for you to put in some practice at an academy of, of one of the greats of the game and, and really probably the greatest clay quarter in history? Definitely. He's a legend. And it's a, a pleasure for me to, and an honor for me to train at his academy. It's amazing what he's done for the sport, and um, I'm going to be really excited to go there. And, uh, you know, you, you've said you love the surface clay, which is not something we're typically hearing from Canadians or, or generally North American players. Is that more because it suits your game style, or, or, is, or what is it that makes you feel so comfortable when you play on clay? I think it's in my European blood. <laughs> I um, I don't know. I guess because it's my game really suits that that surface. I like to change the rhythm, and I think the clay really helps with that. Um, with my deep high balls, they make it bounce deeper and higher. And like my drop shots, when I drop shot the clay. Um, makes it stop so it doesn't really bounce as high. And I love sliding on it. I love moving on it. And it's just more intense, I feel, than on the clay and on the, I mean, on the hard and on the grass. Speaking of intense, I'm wondering if you had a chance to uh, watch the match yesterday between two of your uh, fellow Canadian players, Denis Shapovalov mm-hmm. and Felix Auger-Aliassime. Uh, is it tough to see two people that you're you know, likely close with coming up through the Tennis Canada program have to face one another in a big tournament? Yeah, for sure. When friends face each other, it's never easy. You have to try not to focus on who's on the other side, but that is, like I said, not easy. And yeah, seeing both of them play each other obviously I want both of them to win but that's impossible but that's the sport can't really do much about it (laughs) now you've been in the spotlight obviously this year for beating some big time names on the WTA tour Grand Slam champions like Venus Williams Caroline Wozniacki among others yeah what any advice sorry would you give for for Felix playing in his first career match this week against such a great Grand Slam champion like like Rafa Nadal Oh, man, I really don't think he needs any advice. He's an incredible person and athlete. I'm sure he's going to do amazing. But um, I don't know. I guess all I can say is try not to focus on who's on the other side. Give your best and just enjoy it out there because this is what we trained for and this is what we dreamt of. So I'm sure he's going to kill it. 
Obviously, uh, it's it's going to be so much different for you coming to the French Open this year. Last year, you arrived uh, ranked 193rd in the world, and, and you were playing in qualifying. And uh, things have changed so dramatically with your results in 2019, and you're going to be arriving as uh, likely a top 25 player. Uh, because of what you've achieved this season, and still early May, do you find does that let you relax a little bit more when you're going to a, a big tournament like that, or does or does that actually add some pressure? Yeah, that's that's crazy to hear, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy what one year can do, but um, not really. I when I go out there, I really don't think there's any pressure, but the pressure I put on myself. And I know all Canadians are rooting for me, but if I go out there and I give my best, I think that's all I could ask for. You've played so many matches this year, Bianca, as we've already mentioned, and you faced a lot of WTA players for the first time in your career, and, and some even a second time around, as you did with Angie Kerber. Uh, who's a player that you've yet to face that you're really looking forward to playing, and, and for what reason? Serena. Yeah. Uh, I think that explains itself. <laughs> she's a legend, and uh, she yeah, she's one of the best, so hopefully before she retires, I get to... I get to play her um, and Simona Halep because she's my idol and it would be cool to see how the match turns out, if I can put up with her or not. One uh, one more question before you go. I, I know you did a nice Q&A on, on Twitter and uh, someone asked um, what you're trying to focus on and work on these days in terms of your game and you mentioned the physical aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, what type of strides do you think, uh, I guess, you've made in, in the past block of, of training? And when you say physical, are, are you talking more strength, endurance, or, or what do you mean by that? Yeah, I forgot to mention that this break also helped me with my fitness because... Um, I think the one area I wanted to improve the most is my endurance, and I was able to do that because it was a shoulder injury, so I was hiking a lot, I was biking, running, and I think I've really improved on that, so I'm definitely ready for the clay. And uh, we are ready to watch you on the clay uh, because we haven't seen you play since uh, late March. So I, I think all of Canada yes. is uh, <laughs> all of Canada is going to be looking forward to it. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on our first episode of Matchpoint Canada, uh, giving us uh, giving our listeners a chance to hear what you've been up to. And we'll be excited to see you on the court. And uh, best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you so much. I'm glad that I was your first guest. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were thrilled as well. That was a Canadian. Bianca Andrescu, and uh, she gave us a rundown of her schedule as she's been uh, training ahead of her clay court season, which is, of course, uh, different than the clay court season we have happening right now. But a uh, great opportunity for her heading to the Rafa Nadal Training Academy. And uh, she mentioned she'll get in Rome uh, before Roland Garros, which is terrific. You could tell when she was talking that she's super excited to get back to tennis. And, and she had a little bit of a, almost a giggle, I think, when she mentioned that she's going to be training at Nadal's Academy. I mean, these are big things, big changes for, for someone at just 18 years old. But She's handling it so well. I mean, when talking to her about the the attention that she's received this year, absolutely no hesitation that she's enjoying the spotlight. She's comfortable in that position. And and I think she's going to be just such a great ambassador for Canada moving forward, not just on the tennis court, but because she's so comfortable handling herself off of it as well. Yeah, and she just seems to have a 
the right attitude and right approach to, to these scenarios, um, it, it can be difficult uh, <laughs> uh, going from a tournament when you were 193rd in the world last year, as we mentioned, uh, when she arrived at the French, and a completely different spotlight on you. People know your name. Uh, swar- swarms of people asking for your autograph. You're a completely new, brand-new face that people recognize now. People have this expectation of you, uh, but she seems to be taking it in stride and almost I- enjoying it, uh, recognizing... Uh, I've earned this. I deserve this. I'm excited to be here. I'm not. I'm not shy. I, I'm not hiding from the camera. Yeah, she belongs, uh, right? She belongs exactly. there. And this is going to be a name that now we throw back into the mix on the WTA tour. That's been absent for over a month. And let me tell you, there's going to be other players who are not going to be so happy to see her back out there. Yeah. Um. You know, we've talked about the incredible depth on the WTA tour for for quite a while now. This year in particular with, what was it, 18 separate uh, winners on the tour before Petra Kvitova won a second tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now throw Bianca's name in there as well. It's really wide open. And as we approach the next Grand Slam of the year at Roland Garros, uh, on the women's side, I, I don't know about you, but it's almost impossible to even narrow it down to two or three favorites. Two or three favorites. I mean, I, I feel like there are upwards of 20 plus names who could end up winning this thing. And I always just look back to, to what happened at, at the French Open two, two seasons ago where Yelena Ostapenko got so hot on the court for two consecutive weeks and turned that into a French Open title. Now, she hasn't really been able to back up that play, but she's a Grand Slam champion. There are so many names and threats on the women's tour who can play top-flight tennis for for stretches of seven matches. That's uh, uh, It sounds like a small number. At the same time, it is so incredibly difficult to win a Grand Slam. Uh, but, you know, why not Bianca? I, I think she's one of these names who could be a very dangerous threat on a surface which she's mentioned she loves playing on clay. It suits her game style. She can utilize that drop shot very effectively. And then she has high high topspin balls that are going to work on that surface as well. And I wonder if this break could actually be more advantageous to her when you have some other players who've been playing three, four weeks in a row. They might be less fresh, a little more tired. Yeah, and even if she hadn't had the break due to injury, it was pretty apparent to me and I think everyone watching that just even mentally how exhausted she was becoming uh, after leading the tour in, in matches in matches one. Um, so at this point, coming back with the break, yeah, hopefully helping her. And there's another player also who's coming back who hasn't played on clay yet this year, Simona Halep, who Bianca mentioned, obviously her idol growing up that she'd love to play one day. Yeah. To me, it's going to be really interesting to see how Simona, the defending French Open champion, comes back now and, and transitions to clay. And, um, you know, she had such a great result uh, a year ago, not just at the Slam, but also in other tournaments leading up. I mean, to me, even though we haven't seen what she can do yet this year, uh, she's got to be considered, uh, you know, up at the top in terms of uh, there's the one that you want to want to beat. Yeah, and uh, I think maybe we'll get some of those questions answered as uh, we're now underway with uh, Madrid, and we'll start on the women's side. Uh, Simona Halep returning to the clay court surface, and she is the third seed here, but our top seeds, Naomi Osaka, who we've mentioned is... Figuring things out on the clay surface, less experienced on clay. Uh, We've seen the incredible success she's had on hard courts, and she's won the past two Grand Slams there, but this is going to be different for her. And Petra Gavitova, the number two seed, who to me right now is playing the best tennis of anybody on the women's tour coming off that title in Stuttgart. And she's played fantastic in the past on clay as, as well. The only thing really missing from Petra Kvitova's arsenal, I guess, over the past handful of years is another Grand Slam title. Yeah, but she's getting close, right? I mean, obviously, we all know everyone's aware of the story and how remarkable it is that she's even playing tennis right now. She had a great 2018 on the tour, despite not having the slam success. This year, good run at the Australian Open, obviously, getting very close. 
and and her results this year, like we said earlier, the only player that has won more than one tournament on the WTA Tour. So she's definitely up there, had a great season on clay last year too, outside of Roland Garros. Um, so definitely someone that uh, that you're not going to want to face. Absolutely. And um, Halep, as I mentioned, the third seed. And things are changing for her coming into this clay court season uh, comparatively to last season and the season before and the questions that were always dogging her of when is this great player going to win her first Grand Slam title. That was a major proverbial monkey off her back when she won French Open uh, last year and she had been in the finals the year prior. Um, I have to think playing on your best surface you would think pressure-free makes her, um, if not the best threat, maybe slightly second fiddle to the former scene from Kvitova. Now, uh, I don't think Halep is necessarily going to win Madrid here, but if she can uh, gain some momentum, gain a few matches and, and victories, uh, she could parlay that into a strong showing at Roland Garros again. Yeah, of all the different slam winners we've had over the last couple of years, last few years, uh, to me, Simona Halep is the most likely not to become a one-slam wonder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I- I'm kind of surprised she hasn't won another one since last year's French Open because I thought getting that monkey off her back, she was really going to be able to swing freely and, and lose that pressure and that maybe we would have seen a better result at the U.S. Open or or the Aussie Open this year. But I'm convinced it's going to be happening at, at some point. And uh, she's just, you know, built mentally... Um, strong, and I think getting that 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 uh, that big win last year after making the finals previously a couple of times should be huge for her. I mean, look, there aren't that many repeat Slam champions at Roland Garros who are still active in the draw. So um, I I think that really she's got that that mental edge having done it and and in recent times as well. Yeah, that's right. And uh, if I look at I guess her past couple of Grand Slam. Uh, results where it didn't work out the way she wanted. Uh, she hadn't really played any lead-up tennis going into the Australian Open. She didn't consider herself a favorite, then runs into Serena Williams in the round of 16. And Serena at that stage was playing incredibly well, and she's never had that success at the U.S. Open and ran into Maria Sharapova, probably the best tournament really Sharapova has played in a long time and we're not seeing her now due to injury so I think some of those results have been a little bit draw based perhaps another name I'm looking to was the finalist last year is is Sloane Stevens uh, recently engaged to uh, Josie Altidore and uh, she's had a very uneven season but uh, she could turn it on in a heartbeat and she's already collected a couple wins at Madrid to get herself rolling. Yeah, that's Sloane Stevens for you. You never know what to expect, and, and part of that unpredictability is, is what you have to you know come to expect from the American player. But uh, what a great year she had last year after, I mean, after winning the U.S. Open back in, what, 2017, yeah. then to make the finals at the French in 2018, didn't see that one coming on, on the surface, of course. And um, and she's just a lot of fun off the court, too. I think she doesn't take the losses too seriously, mm-hmm. doesn't take herself too seriously. She's fun, fun and press. She'll joke about her, you know, if she's playing well, she'll kind of like joke about, well, it's only going to last so long before I get back to my, <laughs> my old habits. So she's a good sport. And um, it, definitely you got to put her in the, in the list of ones to watch because even if she doesn't have a, a strong lead-up, who knows what happens between now and, and a couple of weeks from now, I, I think that Sloan is definitely one that, uh, you know, uh, can just flick that switch and, and suddenly become very dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Another dangerous uh, player, the ace queen, really, uh, of the women's tour is Karolina Pliskova. For me, she always flies under the radar, and uh, she's kind of quietly had clay court success. And if there was a name that I, would, I was sort of circling on the women's tour that uh, could 
in the next year win her first Grand Slam. I would not be shocked by Karolina Pliskova eventually winning one. Uh, she's a bit older for the women's tour. Not that she's old at all, 27, but she's kind of one of the veterans now. She's not one of these young and up-and-coming players and has been a very solid top 10, borderline top 5 for quite some time that you think eventually she would have a breakthrough. Yeah, she's got the experience, and I think after players like Wozniacki and Halep, who won their first slams last year, that she's in that mix of players that you would sort of expect would, would have that that moment arrive at some point. Yeah. And it's funny you say under the radar. I mean, she's the ace queen. She's got a bomb of a serve. But yes, she does kind of fly under that radar because sometimes goes unnoticed or doesn't have a, a good stretch of play. But I, I would put her in the mix of ones that certainly wouldn't shock me if she had that uh, that breakthrough. But again, you look at the WT Tour, you look at this Madrid draw, you know, in, in the last couple of years, we've seen like third round matches that could have been really great finals. Well, now I feel like we're seeing first and second round matchups where you're like, hey, you know what? That would be a great uh, final match as well. So there's just so much parity and depth on the women's tour. I, I think it's really great. I have no patience for the naysayers who who don't uh, don't want to see uh, the revolving door of, of winners and and potential champions. Yep. I think it's fantastic, and and I think this year's French Open is is as it's been in recent years. It's it's completely up in the air. Yeah, absolutely. A uh, uh, blockbuster, for example, that we just had one yesterday. Kiki Burton's beating Elena Ostapenko, the 2017 French Open winner. That's another name that I definitely have circled as a potential candidate at Roland Garros on the women's side. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. Remember, you can find us on Twitter. New handle at Matchpoint Can C A N. You can find me at Ben Lewis SN590. Find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. And this is our very first episode, which we are so excited to be. Uh, bringing you and Bianca Andrescu, our first guest has gone. We will shift over to the men's side. We had the chance to ask her about Dennis playing Felix Ojeali's team. And Mike, I know you were uh, comfortably on your couch watching these two Canadians play a blockbuster first round match. It's fun to see these types of matchups. Uh, and then the other side of the equation, the kind of glass half empty factor is we have to have a Canadian leaving the tournament, but Felix probably the stronger clay court player overall comes up with a 6-2-7-6 win in round one. Yeah, it kind of went the way that I think we expected it would. Although that being said, if Dennis had won, we could have said, well, he's a little bit more experienced. He made the semifinals in Madrid a year ago, which was a great result for him, obviously. He's going to be losing a bunch of points now going out in the first round. The match itself, to me, there was a lot of a lot of hype. I remember when I woke up and I saw the draw, you know, Shapovalov against Oji Eliassim with the winner to get Nadal, and you were like, are you kidding me? Am I mm-hmm. am I?" reading this right. Um, The match itself was, um, you know, maybe a little bit disappointing in some ways that I think both players would admit they didn't bring their best tennis. Uh, It kind of went to me in a a stereotypical kind of way, given both of their games, that Dennis was going for a bit too much, especially in the first set on his serve and with the forehand. Felix was the more consistent of the two, the more patient of the two on clay, but even he was making a a pretty high uh, count of unforced errors. When it got to the tie break in the second set, you know, Dennis was close at times to pushing it into a third, but he was also down at certain moments where it didn't look like he'd be giving it a real push. He was down 3-0 to start, uh, got back into it, uh, you know, tied it up at four, then down 6-4, 6-5, couple match points against him. Again, he was able to tie it up, but ultimately what let him down in that tie break was uh, his forehand which was just too erratic, and five of the 16 points in the tiebreak were lost by Dennis because of his forehand, and not just errors where Felix is putting him in a, in a compromising position where it's difficult for him to make the shots, but he was shanking balls that he should have got back into play, and so that's definitely going to be a frustration for, for Dennis and for his fans that he wasn't able to sort of rein in that, that weapon because I think if he had just taken a little bit off 
reduce the errors on that forehand side, could have pushed it to a third set, and then who knows what happens. But either way, great for Canadian tennis. We've got these young guys that are facing each other. We're going to have to get used to it because it's going to happen more and more yep. as they play these events. Um, and, and to me, I don't know how you felt, but I didn't feel awkward watching them play this time. I didn't feel like, you know, back in the day when we'd have Vashik Pospisil playing against Milos Raonic and we were so unused to seeing Canadians have to play each other. You didn't really know as a Canadian viewer uh, how to take it. Do you, do you root for one or the other? Do you just want a good match, a competitive match? And I feel like this felt more comfortable and it's becoming more the norm in our country. And, uh, and that's a good thing, I think. Yeah, well, look, I, I think it's becoming more the norm in terms of this spotlight outside of Canada, too. I, I saw a handful of pundits discussing uh, that as- that portion of the draw of Denis Shapovalov versus Felix Ojeali-Assim. Uh, American pundits are taking notice as well. European pundits are taking notice as well because these are the faces of this next generation of stars uh, that people are circling their names down, writing their names amongst the Tsitsipases and Medvedevs and Zverevs of the guys who are going to take the reins and take the throne when Federer, Nadal, Djokovic eventually leave the sport, which is coming, you know, sooner than than later uh, over, you know, maybe the next three, four years. Uh, that's that's hard to predict. But uh, I, I think people are expecting these two to be staples of the sport for years to come. They're interested in seeing these rivalries grow. I think people want to see Dennis versus Felix as a budding rivalry, and it makes it quite fascinating that they are good friends. We maybe didn't have the same intel in terms of a, a known relationship between Vashik Pospisil and Milos Raonic when we would see them playing. Um, and I, I think the hype, not, not that there wasn't hype uh, uh, surrounding Milos Raonic, an incredible hype, of course, when he made the Wimbledon final, but we haven't had this sustained hype for the sport of tennis in Canada ever since uh, 2019 and storyline after storyline. And Milos is still one of these players, of course. Vashik Pospisil returning from injury, hopefully shortly as well. Yeah, let's not forget about the old guys, yeah. right? The old <laughs> guys at, at 28 years old, right? right? So it'll be great to have Vashik back and hopefully that's going to be on the grass court season, which, you know, for him is a surface he's obviously really comfortable on making a quarterfinal appearance yeah, before. Yeah, and Milos, right? And, and Milos, you know, if, if he's going to get a slam, you'd have to think Wimbledon is still his best chance just because of the incredible... Uh, weapon that he has with the serve so yeah and, and I think you know you'd have to put yourself in their position but if you're Milos and Vashik almost a little bit of a chip on your shoulder like hey all this attention for the young guns coming up and rightly so mm-hmm. but hey we're still around we're still young enough and we still have our own goals that we want to achieve so don't forget about us it's going to be interesting to see and I can't wait to have all four of them healthy at the same time uh, to see what uh, what they can do with the the grass court and then the, the summer hard court swing as well, where they're all going to be on a surface that they're very comfortable with. Yes, absolutely. And uh, look, ideally, a few years from now, Felix versus Dennis is, is not going to be a first-round match anymore. I think those are the strides we want to see from both those players, where when they are encountering one another, it's going to be deeper in tournaments, quarterfinals, semifinals. Who knows? Well, and, at least, <laughs> and at least you know it's not going to happen in the early rounds of a slam now because Felix is just cracking the top 30. That's Dennis right. is around the uh, you know low 20s. So yep. th- that's good that if they are going to meet, at least you know it's going to be a match that they've gotten you know some matches under their belt and it's at a stage of the tournament where you can say, all right, they've made it here. Now let's have it and see you know who, who comes out on top. Exactly. Uh, look, two years ago, we had Denis Shapovalov on the stage, and this is when not really everybody knew him, uh, beating Rafael Nadal, Montreal 2017. Much different scenario here, I think, for Felix Auger-Aliassime against Rafael Nadal on clay in his barn in Madrid, Spain, where all of the crowd is going to be supporting Rafa. 
of course, beloved internationally and playing in his home base. Uh, what's a reasonable expectation for this match? <laughs> uh, over, under, seven service games? Yeah, well, hey, look, for, fortunately, it's a tournament that Nadal's only won five times previously, <laughs> not yeah. not the 11 times like he's done with uh, Monte Carlo or, or Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, as you've been paying attention on social media the last couple of days or so, but apparently Nadal dealing with a bit of a stomach virus, mm. uh, although he was back on the practice court uh, today, so perhaps he's not at quite 100%. But but let's be honest, I think more than anything, this is going to be a good opportunity to Felix to see what a great player in the game, one of the all-time greatest, certainly the greatest on this surface, has to bring to the table and test himself against that type of a player. Because even with Nadal's recent, you know, quote-unquote blip on clay, yeah. look at the guys he's lost to, Fabio Fanini and Dominic Team, who are two of the, you know, outside of Nadal, greatest, you know, clay court uh, players of the moment. So. Yes. For Felix, it's a tall order. Uh, you know, he took out uh, one lefty already, <laughs> Dennis, his buddy Dennis, which is uh, an accomplishment for sure. Uh, I think he's just got to stay grounded, go out, enjoy the moment, take it for what it is. But in terms of expectation, you know, anyone who's expecting a, a Shapovalov-like uh, upset of Nadal on a hard court that happened a couple summers ago, uh, I, I don't think that's realistic. Yes, uh, I think we should probably scale that back. But uh, as you said, it will be a great opportunity to see just how he measures against the very best on his favorite surface. So certainly a match to watch. Round two, Rafa Nadal against Felix Oje Aliassime. Another player to watch, and we haven't seen him on clay for how long? Three years. Three years. That's that's unbelievable. Roger Federer back and and coming to Madrid, uh, back on the clay court surface. And uh, look, he gave an interview, I know, with Christopher Clary of the New York Times leading into this tournament, saying he has a very clear mind heading to the clay because he knows he has nothing to lose. He's arriving there with zero expectation. I don't think people are penciling him in as, as a French Open favorite. And I think that can just make him such a dangerous wild card at every event he's going to play on the surface. This is a great storyline. And, and you know, to put on my sort of tennis fan hat for a moment here, it's just cool to see him back playing on a surface that, let's be honest, didn't think maybe was going to happen again, uh, you know, before he, he ends up hanging up the racket. So for him to make this decision, as you said, there's no pressure. Anything that happens really is, is gravy for him in terms of, of victories. If it goes well, then great. He totally justified the decision. He's got some extra ranking points points and some confidence and uh, if it doesn't go as well well you know nothing ventured nothing gained mm-hmm. a- and maybe this is the last time then that we see him on clay and this can at least be a farewell for tennis fans in these cities uh, you know at uh, Roland Garros my brother's actually traveling right now in Madrid and he's not a huge tennis fan but he sent me a message saying uh, Federer's face is plastered all over the city in advertisements outnumbering even Nadal because wow. he's a drawing card and yeah. this is a big deal that he's he's back on clay a surface that let's let's not kid ourselves he was a terrific player on this surface uh throughout his career and uh hard to believe though 10 years since his one uh Roland Garros title back in 2009 so not a favorite but anything can happen nothing would surprise me one way or the other with Roger yeah I, I agree with you there uh I, I think it gets lost in the success of Rafael Nadal and Federer's failings on the clay surface against really just one player that people forget he's still an excellent clay court player he's been to five 
French Open finals. Uh, how many people can say that? So that that's terrific, especially in this era playing against the best on the surface of all time. Uh, so it, it just makes things so much more compelling. Uh, we've mentioned Rafa having a blip on the clay going back-to-back events and not winning. Novak Djokovic will be the top seed here. I feel like he's searching for his clay game and game a little bit since the Australian Open, uh, but he's still won the last three Grand Slams. And of course, we have... Dominic team in form coming off that that huge title at Monte Carlo. This might be the most wide open Masters 1000 on clay, I think, on the men's side that we've seen in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I can't remember the last time I felt there were this many storylines and players either with question marks or players that were sort of anticipating like Dominic team to to have a breakthrough at a slam at some point. Obviously, he got his Masters 1000 uh, maiden title on on hardcore of all things, so he's proven himself capable on all surfaces. But uh, it's it's as wide open, I guess, as it could be. Mm-hmm. Though that being said, as long as Nadal is healthy over the next few weeks, uh, you know, overwhelming favorite, despite the fact that yeah, we've got a little bit more to sort of go back and forth on than than we might normally. Yes, uh, certainly some other names to watch. Uh, Stefano Tsitsipas just won uh, the title in Estoril 250 event there. A fresh name as well, Christian Guerin captured the title in Munich, uh, an event that uh, Sasha Zverev has dominated the past couple of years. And a fascinating uh, fun fact here, Guerin won the 2013 Junior French Open title, and guess who he beat in the final? Sasha Zverev. This is a pretty important tournament for Zverev. He's defending the title here, 1,000 points, and he's now 4-6 and six since the Australian Open. I, I know we've brought up this question before, but... He has to be careful over the next stretch of a few weeks, quarterfinals points as well at the French Open, that he has to find a way to start winning matches in succession. Yeah, he's had a lot going on lately, I think, that he's admitted has sort of distracted his focus on the tennis court. And, I mean, it's easy for us to expect these guys to go out and and be like robots on the court and always bring their best. But you never know what's going on behind the scenes, whether it's, you know, personal things, uh, injuries or, or family matters. And so for him, I think he just uh, uh, put out there yesterday um, in, in sort of pre-tournament press that he, he's feeling now that, that he's got less distractions, that he's ready and able to focus on the tennis 100%. And so hopefully that, that will translate for him into more results on the clay because when he's playing his best, yeah, he's justifiably one of the top five in the game right now. And we're all waiting for the 22-year-old to have his Grand Slam breakout that... Let's be honest, if it's not this year, it's going to happen at some point. He's too talented for it not to happen. And we've seen great players in the past, Andre Agassiz, Yvonne Lendels, who need a little bit of extra time before they've broken through at the, the Grand Slam level. And then once they do, you know, look out, you, you know how those two careers went. So mm-hmm. whether it goes that way for Zverev or not, who knows? But I, I do think that we're going to be seeing great things from, from the kid, the 22-year-old kid. Uh, at some point. Yes, I don't think it's uh, the time to panic about his career or anything like that. Uh, Juan Martin Del Potro will be playing uh, his first Masters 1000 of the season as well, so great to see him back on the court. And people forget what he did last year on the clay. He actually made the semifinals of the French Open, so he can play a bit on this surface for sure. Uh, I just also wanted to mention a couple of names who have officially dropped out of the French Open. Kevin Anderson's been dealing with injuries for some time, so he is pulled out. Uh, so has uh, Russian Andrei Rublev. Uh, you're listening to Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. You can follow us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. Our new SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash MatchpointCan. 
Canada, all one word. You can subscribe right there or on iTunes. Uh, we dealt with this case last week when Damian Cox was our special guest, Justin Gimmelstab, and things kind of reached ahead finally over the past week. Uh, Justin Gimmelstab and his involvement on the ATP board and tennis channel, uh, he's now officially stepped down, deeming himself a distraction. Uh, of course, that's related to his recent assault charge for which he pleaded no contest. And in the midst of this, we saw a strongly worded letter from Stan Wawrinka about the state of the sport at large. And uh, in it, Wawrinka said, we are all accountable and must learn from this, uh, essentially saying that the ATP and players need to speak out about these issues more. Was Stan uh, sort of brave for for getting ahead on this and really being one of the first to uh, be outspoken? Yeah, first and foremost, like, thank God this one's over because I, I'm sure I'm not alone in thinking, like, this has gone on long enough. Mm-hmm. And and thank God it didn't go to a vote May 14th, you know? Like, don't put this on others to decide what to do with you, yeah. you know? But make that decision and 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 recuse yourself and, and get out of this this very prolific and, and public spotlight. And, and what took him so long, really, you know? I mean, this is just a, a, a person who is so vain, and, and who's just like such a, a narcissistic, you know, personality, uh, move aside, mm-hmm. okay? And don't even talk about, oh, but I'll, maybe I'll come back and I've seen other people come back to, to reach positions of power again. Like, just drop it, yeah. okay? Because, you know, you're nothing more than a distraction, as some of these players are saying. Uh, you know, on a moral grounds alone, and, and I don't know why it took this to remove Justin Gimmelstab. I don't know why in the first place he was ever put into a position of such prominence because even aside from these legal troubles and rumors and things like that, he's just kind of like a misogynist, right? Like he's just not a a very nice guy in terms of what he said in the past. So I don't know how you put him in a position of prominence uh, in in a sport like this, whether it's ATP, WT, it doesn't doesn't matter, right? Um, So thank God he's, he's out of the way. Um, I'm certainly not one of those people who's eagerly anticipating his forgiveness and rehabilitation and return to the sport. I think enough's enough. You got enough to deal with on the side. Go do that. But as Stan Wawrinka mentioned, you know, there's, there's other things going on here in terms of just the hierarchy and the structure and the conflicts of interest. I mean, tennis has to take a good long look at itself in the mirror and decide, you know, what, what it values and, and what is uh, the direction that it wants to go in the future. Because right now it seems like people are all over the board and, um, you know, thankfully, you've got players like Stan and Andy Murray, yep. always Andy Murray, who's coming to... <laughs> and he's to, not even playing right now. And he's not even playing, right? But he, he's still the voice. And I wish there were more voices. Look, they don't all have to say the exact same thing, but I wish, wish there were more voices that would speak up and just be leaders in the sport. And, and sometimes you've got to, you know, step away from just what you do on a tennis court and, and have your voice heard because you're a role model, not just for your athletic ability, but for what you stand for away from the game as well, I think. Yeah, there was uh, certainly the sentence that stood out to me, actually, in his letter was, silence amounts to complicity. Uh, I don't know if he was intending to single out any player with that statement, uh, but... I would have liked to see the big three, like Federer and Nadal, Djokovic, uh, really take a stand and say the right things. I know Nadal was put on the spot in a press conference a couple weeks ago, and he, you know, he might want nothing to do with Justin Gimmelstab. He may have completely wanted him out of the sport, but uh, he took that moment and said, I- "I'd rather not give my opinion to you." So he wanted to 
keep that behind closed doors. Stan Favreka is saying it's time for uh, tennis and ATP to take a stand, uh, just not tolerating this behavior any longer and uh, not allowing it to corrupt this sport because uh, it's already dealt with so many issues in the past in terms of match fixing, which is still ongoing at lower levels that they have to deal with. Let's move on from Justin Gimmelstub, get him out of the sport, and uh, this will be the last week, uh, hopefully, we're talking about it. Yeah, I mean, we'll be talking a lot more about, you know, who they choose to replace him and what direction the tour, right. tour moves into and what improvements they make. But, yeah, at least we've closed the door on that one and we can move on to more more positive things here at uh, Matchpoint Canada. Exactly. And... Uh, We'd love to tell you what lies ahead for for Matchpoint Canada because it is our brand new podcast and the official Tennis Canada podcast. We're going to be bringing some great guests. Obviously, it was terrific to have Bianca Andreescu as our first and uh, speak with her about how she's doing as she's gearing up for her clay court season. Um, But it will be great to talk to more insider tennis personalities as well to give you perspectives, keep you up to date on the ATP and WTA and keep you up to date with our Canadian players and how they're faring. Yeah, and we're going to have some great giveaways too on the podcast, uh, courtesy of Tennis Canada, and some Rogers Cup tickets uh, moving forward as well. So check back in with us next week. I think we'll have a pair of tickets for our first uh, giveaway on the podcast too. Exactly. Uh, We should be easy to find. It's the new Twitter page. If it was South Boston before, it's now Matchpoint Canada at Matchpoint Can, C-A-N. You can subscribe on SoundCloud, SoundCloud and iTunes, uh, soundcloud.com slash Matchpoint Canada. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Lewis, SN590. Follow Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. Thank you so much to Bianca Andrescu, our first guest of the program, and we will talk to you next week.